0: Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us today for the latest AutoCAR Business Live webinar, uh, talking about the impact of the agency retail model. My name is Mark Tishaw and I'm the editor of AutoCar. And I'm delighted to be joined today by three guests. Jonathan Goodman is the CEO of Polestar UK and head of global communications for the brand. Duncan McVee is CEO of Lucas Retail Group. And Tony Whitehorn runs his own consultancy business, having previously been the president and CEO of Hyundai UK. There are more and more manufacturers signing up to this uh, retail model so we're keen to see what the impact might be for the oems themselves as well as retailers and customers as ever please do remember to send in any questions you may have they all pop up on my screen and i'll do best to get to as many as possible today so maybe let's start with the obvious one jonathan um, can you explain what the agency model is um, yeah thanks mark
1: and uh, lovely to be able to join this um I, I, I don't, we don't really call it an agency model, but I, I understand the convenience of, of doing it that way. What we have is a, a is a new brand starting out with a direct consumer model. Um, and when we set out how we wanted that to happen, that meant that we needed retail partners um, who were focused on delivering exceptional um, information to the customer, listening to the customer's inquiries and helping to educate them. Um, we brought on board... the retail partners we're working with in the uk who can focus entirely on the customer while the customer then will transact online direct with us which gives us great perspective on, on on the customer's requirements and everything else allows the retailer to focus on dealing with the customer in situ and we we took we take out of that all of the things like wholesaling cars there are no we we have all the stock so the, the dealer doesn't find themselves wholesale the number of cars they don't want they focus on listening to what the customer wants and for that we pay them a a, a good healthy commission which enables them to have a very profitable business model as well and, and that for us was fundamental that we were working with retail professionals who could make good money out of the postal franchise and i think that what we've seen in the first um 18 months of working is that it's been very successful. The sales are very, very strong and our retailers seem very happy. So so for me, it's a model that works as a new
0: startup brand. And Tony, what are the benefits
2: to manufacturers? Yeah, hi, um, good to see you everybody. Um, I, I think that first of all, we have to understand that this, the agency model, let's call it that, the agency model is being driven by the manufacturers. Why is that? Firstly, for an economic reason. Uh, the cost of um, BEVs, the electric vehicles, is about four times more expensive than it is for a petrol vehicle in terms of propulsion unit. So therefore, the margins are being squeezed by all the OEMs. And they're thinking, how on earth can we get some of this margin back? So they look at their supply chain and they go, oh, I can see they squeezed their tier one, tier twos, but they've gone to the retailers and go, there's about 15% there that we could actually take and um, and reduce and therefore take that back and help our margin. So there's an economic reason. Secondly, they realize as well that uh, other competitors like Polestar are going down this route. And because of that, Polestar can now talk directly. They can do online transactions. If you've got the wholesale model, the franchise model, you can't do that. So the competition uh, reason why manufacturers are going down that route And thirdly, is that there's that direct selling route. In other words, the customer is now owned by the manufacturer. So therefore, they can then talk directly and sell directly on an ongoing basis to the customer and almost monetize the asset, monetize the vehicle over a longer period of time. So, for instance, you might have a dog and actually the, the OEM can sell a dog guard directly to the customer. So there's are the three reasons it's economic is competition and it's direct selling.
0: And Duncan, you've got brands within the Lookers Group, um, you know, even looking at this or doing it already. How is it working from the dealer side?
3: Well, thanks for inviting me on the call today. Um, yeah, we've got 32 brands. We represent 32 brands in, in the UK um, and uh, the majority of which are uh, are not in an agency agreement just now and there's a number of brands that are transitioning towards agency but yeah we represent Polestar as we know and uh, and, and it works really well for us you know, it's very a very simple model it's very transparent as Jonathan said you know customers like that that, that kind of ease to do business with that transparency um, and importantly it's, it's very very profitable. I think as Jonathan said for a new brand coming into the UK they've been able to kind of almost rewrite the rule book and uh and it's been a kind of simple way to, to start up their, their business model. I think for maybe some of the other brands, the transition towards agency um will uh, we will need to navigate that one through together.
0: And Duncan you, what so why isn't everyone doing it then? You know, if it's working so well for dealers and it sounds like almost a perfect model.
3: <coughs> I think for me, agency is still yet to be fully understood in terms of the, the definition of what agency means by, by franchise. You know, some Uh, are fully intent on a a full agency model others are not intending and going anywhere near agency but I think you know what what it's about is about delivering a a better customer experience reducing costs distribution costs in in, in the network uh, and just having that more transparent uh, way of dealing with interacting with customers
0: and Tony what does it mean for consumers how do how do they respond to it
2: yeah, I, I believe that certainly all the research that has been done, that consumers like it. Let's be honest, consumers fundamentally don't really enjoy going into a dealership and doing the haggling. And now an awful lot of um, things that we buy are online. You can't buy a brand new car entirely online under the the, the franchise model because there's a, a negotiation point in it. But with the agency model, um, it's comp- as, as Duncan said, it's completely transparent. So you can transact entirely online um, and then the dealer can then deliver the car and still have the relationship with them. So I think that th- from the customer's perspective, that's what's going to drive it. At the end of the day, it's the customer that will drive it. And I believe I believe in the agency model because I think that the the customer that's what they want: transparency and surety.
1: I think if if you just jumping on what, on, on what Tony said there. I mean, the the start point for us was how do you actually get a bit more fun back into buying a car. I think that buying a cars become a little bit intimidatory. Um, we've built these great big structures, which most of them are out of town. And as a new starter with no legacy, we could say, well, how can we rethink this a little bit? So we try to put our spaces or showrooms um, where the customer already goes to shop. Um, and then we wanted very much to work with retail partners so we weren't saying we don't want 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 retail investors we wanted retail investors and, and 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 people like duncan and his team embraced it absolutely massively and said right how can we focus on delivering exceptional customer care and i think that the, the big point is what does the customer want and it's the point that tony made and the customer likes to come in meet product specialists who know the product inside out can answer any question. If they're coming in for 10 minutes because their husband or their wife is in another shop at the shopping center, can you give me a quick, I've heard about Polestar, can you give me a quick overview? They'll get a quick overview. If they want 45 minutes on the battery technology, they'll get 45 minutes on the battery technology. And I think the immediate thing is it's listening to the customer and what they want, which makes it a more enjoyable experience than Let's be clear: where manufacturers have pushed stock into dealers, and then say we need you to get to, to, to get those cars moved. Customers done all their research online, goes into a dealership, and the dealership then is trying to move them in to, down the way of the fifteen cars they've just been wholesaled by the manufacturer. Now that's not a dealer thing; that's a manufacturer thing because they're 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 working on a push model. And I think that it's fundamental that we actually make the experience fun. These that you know we've got very very professional people who are interfacing with the customer. You take away the pressure. You also mean that whether the customer's a retail customer or a business car customer, they get treated the same way. There's no questioning, oh no, you're a company car buyer. I can't talk to you. They very much say, oh no, this is this is someone interested in the brand. And we have a very simple model that says, if a person buys a car in the area that's worked by Duncan and his team, whether Duncan and his team have seen that customer or not, they will get paid the commission that's due when that customer buys a car, and that takes all the uncertainty out and enables the team in the in the in the showrooms to focus on dealing with the customer and giving them exemplary customer care, which they're doing a great job of.
2: What do you think though? It's I mean it's really interesting that Polestar are new into the uh, into the space. Um, and, uh, and and because of that, Polestar have gone uh, very much down this the agency route. What about those those people who haven't uh, who who you know who are already in the market themselves? Do you think that that's going to be a real difficult transition for a number of those manufacturers?
1: Well, I, I think it will um, because if you stop the 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 retailers have built facilities at the behest of the manufacturer to their corporate identity standards on the locations that's agreed with them, on the basis of the remuneration that, 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 that they've got contractually. And now certain manufacturers might want to change that. I don't think it's that simple. I think there's a, a lot of dialogue to be, to be done. And I think it's, it, it's more complicated. And I fully accept it's a lot easier for us starting from, from, from zero and, and, and building it up. But I think the key word for this is what does the customer want? And I think that that's something that the industry has to look at and say, how do we, in, in, in existing manufacturers, how do they marry those two those two concepts together and, and, and bring it in um, without calling, causing complete disruption to retailers who've invested heavily on their behalf?
3: I think that's right. And, you know, from a, co- a consumer perspective, you know, whether it's a retail, uh, uh, an agency model or a franchise model, you know, it's, it's the customer that's at the heart of everything that we do. So whether they choose to engage via foot, via phone, or, or, or by walking into the showroom, into our premises, whether they take a test drive, whether they want to collect the car from the, the dealership or whether they want the home delivery. It's all about what the customer wants. And the customer wants that trust. They want that transparency. And um, and I believe that we can give that, whether that's through an agency model or whether that's through a franchise model.
0: And Duncan, just staying with you, um, one of the words mentioned so far a few times has been clarity. Um, for the consumer and, and the retailer, some of that clarity comes in pricing. Is that what your customers are, are happy with with the agency model? A clarity on pricing, but playing the cynic, does that actually mean that they might be paying a higher price than they would otherwise?
3: I think I think the, the customer do like do like cl- clarity. I mean, in, in lookers, we have transparent pricing in use cars, and the message generally is: look, we do re- we we do the research so that you don't have to. And and if you, if you don't, if you find a car cheaper elsewhere, you'll we'll, we'll refund the difference. And that's all about transparent pricing. It's about giving that clarity. And I think customers absolutely do like that. But like anything, customers vote with their, with their wallet, um, so to speak. And, um, you know, if, if the product's right and the price is right and they get a good experience with it, it, it ultimately leads to a sale. Is it,
0: is it better for margins, Jonathan, then? Is it, you know, do, do the price is paid is it good for business
1: really for you guys well I mean, I, listen i think it's good for business for us and i think it's good for business for the retail partners and that and that was what we said we we set out to to, to to set up from day one um because you know i've been in the industry 35 years i've been through the traditional model and everything else and and the one thing that is true in every single franchise and it's true in ours is if your retailers are making money they're very happy um, and uh, that was for us a fundamental part of the business equation that the guys who came on board and took a leap of faith, which Duncan and his, uh, and his team did, when they joined Polestar, we hadn't sold a car in the UK, and they committed to, to opening up a, a, a showroom. So we had to have a business model that meant that when we were doing well and selling volumes, they were making good money, and, and I think we've got the balance right. And uh, we, it's very much a partnership. So we're very upfront with what we're doing uh, with Duncan and the teams all the way through. As we expand, we're very open with, the, with our existing people to say, here's where we're going and giving options. And, and Duncan and his team are looking at opening a space for us in, in, in Scotland as well. Um, so I think you've got to have a, bo- a business model that gives good margins for the and good margins for the retailer. And I think that that's, that's what so far we've succeeded
3: in doing. I think a lot of that in terms of margin, Mark, comes down to forced registrations. You know, we are forcing a market and, and that's there's a, there's a, um, you know, what we've seen over, over COVID is that supply and demand imbalance and the real positive impact that's, that's had on margin. You know, I think when, when uh, registrations are forced, it then leads to distressing pricing, which ultimately is an impact on both margin and on cost.
0: Tony, is there a way this model could see retailers and manufacturers uh, competing against one another?
2: Yeah, I think that that is um, a bit of a challenge, and that's what a lot of retailers are concerned about. But to be really honest, um, I believe that a really good retailer can still be entrepreneurial. And that's, that's the problem that, that some retailers are worried about. Because when you come to hand over the car, that's when you can build the relationship. And it is only the retailer that can build that relationship on a face-to-face basis. So they can do that. And then they can ensure that the after sales business comes back to them. And then they can yes do some sales off that as well. So I think that if you have a very strong retailer, which obviously lookers are, and an OEM that understands how that relationship works. I honestly believe that all three parties, that's the consumer, the OEM, and the retailer, can all win on the agency model. It's when you start to have one of those parties, i.e. the OEM or the retailer, that starts to play the programme. And I tell you what, the only person that's going to lose there is actually the consumer.
3: I think the the other point to add to that, Tony, is that you know, the the, the OEM and the, uh, the the partner, it is a partnership. You know, we want a long, sustainable relationship together, and that relationship has to be profitable. So, you know, working against each other isn't isn't going to work. We have to work with each other. We have to da- adapt. We have to be flexible. Um, and and I think that can ensure a, a good long-term sustainable model for us both. Um, and, we, and we, when you look
1: at the way that we structure it, you... The, the, there is no competition. I mean, every single transaction that's done is done direct with us, um, and it is our job to ensure, and, 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 and that's the part and parcel we do. So we we don't exclude any channels that we're providing cars through from remuneration for our for our retailers. And I think you know when you when you go into the fleet business in at some OEMs, they'll have certain ones where they're giving restricted or no. Um, no no payment to the retailer at all and then still expecting that retailer to handle that customer when they come in even though they know they're not going to get remunerated for it i don't think that's realistic i think that's old school car industry and it can't work and i think we have to have whichever customer walks through the doors of a showroom whether they are a business car driver whether they're a private retailer whether they're a retiree male female whatever they're treated exactly the same and I think that, for me, is the strength of the model that we've set up because it doesn't matter to the retailer. If that person's going to buy the car, they will earn a commission on it. And if that person is, happens to be a Londoner up in Manchester for the day, equally, Duncan and his team know that the Manchester person that's in London and goes into the London space, they're going to earn the remuneration on that car. It's not the person that spoke to them. And I think that changes the whole dynamic of the relationship with the customer and enables us all to focus on, customer care, do we get it right 100% of the time? No, of course we don't, there are things we need to improve, but the cooperation we've had from our retail partners has been absolutely fantastic in the first 18 months that we've got. We've now got people queuing up to coming on board that they'll have to wait until we're ready to expand the model
2: to other areas and that will happen as the volumes grow and not before. I think what's really interesting is that when um, the agency model was introduced, Uh, in by BMW in South Africa Um, essentially what happened is that it was the the retailers who gave the best customer experience that people went to it wasn't wasn't the retailer that gave the best deal because all the deals are exactly the same so it's completely transparent so therefore the customer is being driven to the place where he gets the best service and that has to be a good thing
0: that's loads of questions coming in Uh, thank you very much in double figures already. Um, one from Tom Power from Lister's Group Limited. How will the agency model work for used cars? Can it work? And perhaps Jonathan, you could start of that, maybe describe how a two-year-old Polestar model might fit uh, within the agency model.
1: No, I mean, I think we've been totally upfront with with, with, uh, with us. Starting out, I think it was, a, it was a more difficult one. What we need to do is offer a valuation to the customer for their used car. So it's a separate transaction from the car purchase, which I think is a, is an important part. And these are the areas that we're sitting now with Duncan and our investors to say, right, is there actually scope now for them to be able to talk to the customer about their used car and say, well, actually, you know, used car stock, we'd like to buy your car as a separate transaction. Um, and then as we go forward, why, why, shouldn't, why can't it work on, on, on the same basis? We're already retailing direct to customers our used cars, demos and things that we've got coming through we'll have our first cycle of 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 people disposing of their used cars really probably in about 12 months time and we've got time to work out exactly how that features with the uh with with our retailer and what their involvement is but i think there's, there's there's great business to be had on used cars for us and for the retailer using this model so i'm not i'm not concerned about that but what we're not saying to duncan is that you have to set up a Polestar used car lot. No, we're not doing that. We aren't asking for that level of investment. Um, but at the same time, I think one of the areas that we've got to open up is that Duncan and and, and and his team and the other people around the country should be able to actually get involved where the third party transaction price of, when someone buys it, you know, what what is my car that I'm currently driving worth as a retail customer? And we can give them a valuation but then I think it's important to open that up to our to our retail partners to say, well, actually, we can pay this because we think that's used car stock that we can utilise. And that's something we're working on putting in place with 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 our retail investors.
0: Duncan, cast your mind back a couple of years, maybe when you're trying to set this up with Jonathan, what are the practical implications for a dealer switching um, to this model? And how do you shift that mindset amongst um, your, your colleagues?
3: I don't think it's much around um, agency or, or franchise that, that's driving that change. I think it's more around, you know, the, the industry's evolving at quite a pace and digitisation and electrification is, uh, is driving that. And I think equally, you know, when you look at the information that's available to a customer nowadays, it is so much more transparent. They can value their car online, they can quote themselves happy online, they can find out so much more information about the, the vehicles that they're purchasing. So, I mean, I think um, the model is... Uh, it is in a place where, you know, it's, it's the customer that's driving the change and not so much whether it's agency or, or, or franchise. So, you know, in terms of how our people adapt and, and the skills or maybe new skills that they might need, it's all about helping the customer to make the right decision. That's more about customer experience than it is as much of a kind of uh, salesy, uh, maybe old school sales exhibit.
0: Tony, um, according to some research from our sister brand, Whatcar, if people use the agency model, they're more likely to buy purely online. Where do you think that leaves the retailer?
2: Um, They might buy purely online, but actually that car has got to be delivered. Uh, And the best, I think the thing about the, the, the customers themselves, you know what it's like. As soon as they get into a car, they think to themselves, right, what do I do if it goes wrong? where do I go? Now, if you have just a pure online relationship, then people are going to be worried about that. If, however, they, might trans- they may transact online, but it gets delivered by the local retailer, they have a relationship. So let's say with Polestar, they have the relationship with lookers. They go and pick up the car or the car is delivered to them by the looker's representative, and then they know if something goes wrong, I go back to lookers. So So for me, it's um, yes, the, my, the, the transaction might be directly with the uh, uh, on, online itself, but the actual delivery has to be, I believe, through the retailer because the relationship is then set up on a long term basis.
1: I the what I don't disagree with the principles of what you said, Tony. I mean, when we first started out as we were getting organized, all our deliveries were done centrally by us, two people's home. Um, what we've now increasingly taken on board as the volumes have grown is our retail investors are delivering the cars in, in their area and doing a great, great job of it. Um, the after-sales, and that's part of the omni-channel model that we have, is we, we've signed agreements with, uh, with 100 Volvo dealers around the country so that you, people can go locally. The Volvo dealer has incremental service business that wasn't there before, Based on the same platforms that they're already dealing with in the Volvo and without any in- huge investment in specialist tooling. So I think the after sales is absolutely fundamental to, 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 to this model to give the customer that reassurance they can get their car serviced. But we need to understand that the relationship, when something goes wrong with the customer, with a customer car, they don't ring lookers, they ring us. They text us and, and that involvement is in there. And then we get involved with, with getting that car into, into the industry. So it is a change of mindset, but fundamentally there is an enormous amount of business to be had by by the retailer in an agency model. And it's not just delivering the cars, it's delivering the, the customer impression and, and, and the vision of the brand that we have is delivered exceptionally well by, by our retail partners in those spaces because they are the first port of call. Sometimes someone's never even seen our brand before and they walk into that lookers showroom that's their first experience. And I think it's absolutely fundamental that you have this relationship where the retailer understands he's making good money and the retailer accepts that it isn't the same business model and that a lot of the customer contact will be direct to the manufacturer. If they can get their heads around that, their input into into the whole business is is, is huge and they make, make good profit from it. So I think that it does need a a, a change of mindset from people to realize that they're not going to control all the things in the same way. It also gives us great feedback direct from the customer and ability to change the way in which the motor industry interacts with its customers. My belief, passionate belief, is the motor industry, and I'm not talking about returns, but the motor industry as a whole, does a great job of selling a car, does a great job of handing over the car and then goes, right, three years time, I'll be back to you to see if you want to buy another one. And we've got the ability to change that structure as a direct consumer business and have a relationship with that customer all the way through their, their life so that it becomes an instinctive thing for them to do when they come to change their car. If, if our product's good enough and our prices are right, they're going to stay with the Polestar.
0: Jonathan, do your customers, have, do they notice they're buying a car in a different way so far? Have you had any comments or feedback or they just accept it for the way it is? No,
1: I, I think that... Some people, it was it was hallelujah time, you know, we can do it, do it online and transact. Other people were a bit nervous about it um, and needed some help and reassurance when they went into when they went into the spaces. But no, I, I think they like the fact that no one's shoving an order form under their nose when they've been in the showroom for 20 minutes. Um, and I think that, that that is something that has been universally welcomed. But I don't think they see it as a huge difference. And uh, all my word, this is an agency model and not a franchise dealer model. They see the professionals that that, that Duncan's employed. What I find really interesting is that when you look at the team that Duncan's got there, there aren't too many of them that have sold cars before. Um, A lot of them have come from the retail sphere and are used to engaging with customers but have got exceptionally good product knowledge that that, that, that they've learned from and been trained on by us and by Duncan and the teams. Um, and i think that balance works well so i think the customer welcomes it yeah you'll have the odd customer who doesn't want it and i fully understand that um we but but we're, we're absolutely committed to to carrying the business out the way we do it's working well um and our job now is to give the customer all the region reasons during the ownership experience they have with us that actually this is a great way to function and and we enjoy having our relationship but Our biggest advocates right now are our customers because they're passionate about what we've done
3: I think from our Polestar model in particular you know rather than just focusing purely online there's so many touch points for the customer before getting to that point of placing their order online you know we've we've been doing uh mobile test drive hubs we've been carrying out test drives we have got you know the, the the retail store where customers come and see us and find out a little bit more about the product they can talk to our team they can go online, they can do a load of research online before actually getting to that point of placing an order online. And, you know, I think out with Polestar, you know, the, the transition towards online, there's a lot of customers out there that, you know, they like that physical experience, that there's some customers that will want to talk to somebody uh, on, on the phone and just find out a little bit more about the product or maybe have some questions about funding. So I think, you know, before getting to that point of completing the order and whether that's In store online over the over the phone there's a lot of touch points and i think to jonathan's point to tony's point it's all about that customer experience and really customer centric in our approach to give the customer what they want
0: tony question you might be able to handle um from andrew clues from the, the motoring podcast does agency mean there is more pressure on the dealerships to retain customers for servicing and after sales side of things from a business perspective
2: um, I think what the I think the model is changing, as we've all said, and the model means that uh, dealers will focus and and their profit centres are going to be more about used cars and after sales. That is that is a, a truism for definite, um, and therefore, I what I do believe is that the first point of contact invariably with a customer is going to be the handover of the car quite often, uh, and in doing that, if, if you know, the good dealers will try and get those customers and keep that long-term relationship with those customers and bring them into the after-sales arena. And also, yeah, they can start to think about the used car side of things with them as well. So yes, uh, the agency model will make them focus very much so on the after-sales and the on the used car side of the business. But actually, the way they can do that is by the first time they actually touch the customer is going to be on the on the handover of the of the vehicle itself. And just remember, an awful lot of the dealers have got massive databases today. So as they transition from you know the the franchise model to the agency model, they've got so many uh, customers they've already got. They will want to keep those customers going. Yes, they can come and get the vehicles from themselves and direct sell through themselves themselves, but also keep the after sale side of the business.
3: And we can't we can't forget the big databases that dealers have. I'm going to sound like a bit of a broken record, Mark, but um, you know, again, I think whether it's agency or whether it's franchise, you know, retention is important to any business within the industry, and it's really really important that we retain those customers for as long as we possibly can. And, and you know, one of the ways to do that is delivering an exceptional customer experience.
0: Dang, but, but, be... oh, sorry, Jonathan.
1: Yeah, I just just one thing, and I, and I think that, that Tony's points are right, but I I also would uh, would argue that the new car business, and certainly under the model we work, can be enormously profitable for, for for our retailers, and it's not just about after sales, and it's not just about um, uh, about used cars. I think those those come in on top and make it make it a very interesting business story, but the fundamental approach that we took from day one was that we wanted our retail investors to make money on the new car business by delivering exceptional customer service. And that is exactly what we're delivering and they're delivering uh, in the UK. And I think that if you separate that out and don't allow the uh, retailer to be part of the emotional attachments to the brand, which is the selling of a new car, the delivery of a new car, then, then I think you're, we, we, the, the industry's creating a problem for itself. So, so ours was always not setting up our own spaces, but saying, right, we want retailers to be involved with us because they're involved in that new car, in that new car handover and delivery and, 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 and sales. Um, and I think that's massively important. And I don't, I don't buy into the fact that you can't make money on new cars.
2: Yeah, I think, I think as well that every agency, we must understand that every agency agreement is different and it's going to be different. Um, and it is in the detail, you know, the margins that people get. I mean, there was a big issue with Mercedes in Austria, whereby um, the, the dealer just got 5.8% in and he had to hit a target related bonus. And if it was just delivered, if he was doing the delivery, he just got 2%. So you have to look at the detail. Polestar's obviously sorted that out effectively with their their retailers, but it is very much into what do you do with the margin, but also... what happens with the part exchange. You know There are some agency agreements whereby it is the retailer who actually gives the um, the price of the re- of the part exchange, which I find a bit odd, uh, but everything has slight differences in the detail itself.
0: A, a big thread coming in on the questions um, is around uh, volume mainstream brand, uh, brands. We've heard uh, the, the Polestar perspective at the more sort of premium luxury end. If you're, Tony, you're, you're back at Toyota, you're back at Hyundai, in a, in a kind of volume brand or Vauxhall or Ford. How can this model work at that scale? Does it pr- pose different challenges that it might to help um,
2: Fundamentally, the answer is no, it doesn't. Uh, because at the end of the day, it is what the customer desires. So that's, that's the start point. It's then going back, as I said just then, into the detail of how that then works. You can still have target related bonus. Um, in this in this situation. So that is still there. Um, it, it also works out as to how the volume bonuses work with the, um, uh, with the finance. It, it is how the part exchanges situation works. So, so, so my belief is, is that if you think this is the right thing for the customer, that, that has to be the start point. Secondly, it's then for how does the OEM work directly with their retailer operators? And, uh, and my belief is that is if you give good customer service, whether you are a volume brand or a mum and papa type dealer, you will win on this agency basis.
3: I think we have to remember as well that, you know, with the, the franchise model, um, in terms of that variable margin, you know, for, for, for many years, um, certainly pre COVID and, and pre the pandemic, you know, seven percent of that margin was given away in any case. Um, so, you know, that, that, that reduced margin from an agency per, perspective doesn't necessarily mean we're losing what we, what we once had because we gave away quite a bit of that anyway, then complemented by some of the cost savings. Um, it, it does make the, the, the model a very, a very profitable one.
0: Uh, Staying with you, Doug, a, a couple of threads here, related threads. What happens at a retailer like yourselves, um, you know, some of your brands are using this model and others aren't. And does it, for it to become the default way of buying a car in the future, does it need all brands and all retail groups to to adopt it?
3: No, I don't think it does. And I I think we we are very much of the mindset that, you know, we'll work with our our partners um, and if that's a franchise model, we'll work with them to deliver the the best job that we can for, for the brand, for the customers and for ourselves. And if it's an agency model, likewise. I think we just need to remain flexible and be able to adapt I think the partnership's key, you know, working collaboratively with our OEM partners um, is, is really, really important. I think i just just a, a bit to add to that. I think integration is key. You know, for, for many, many years, there's been a, a number of kind of systems, whether that's OEM systems or dealer management systems or, or whatever. And I think in the, the new world of digitisation, I think integration is going to play a, a key part moving forward, and that will certainly help. The, the dealer network be a little bit more flexible and, and dynamic in and out in and then around working with a franchise or, a, or an agency model
0: tony we, we, we've seen the the kind of takeoff of, of the agency model you know during the pandemic and now with the semiconductor chip shortage which you know is going to run and run i.e at a time when there's a there's less supply so manufacturers are able to control that a bit better what happens when the days of Perhaps oversupply come back, the days of discounting come back. Does the whole model come falling down?
2: Oh, no, is the answer. Because at the end of the day, the pricing is determined by the OEM entirely. So the OEM might say to themselves, "Actually, we've got too much stock. We can actually um, give an in- an, a, an incentive, a consumer incentive that goes to absolutely everybody." So. It, it isn't a negotiated point. It is, you know, lookers will have exactly the same price as the retailer down the road of the same franchise. So, the OEM can determine exactly what the price can be. They probably won't drop the price, but they will give a particular incentive. The the OEM can can actually talk directly to the customer as well um, and say to that customer, "Why didn't you come in and do a swap on this vehicle?" So, it, it what I think the biggest pressure is going to be on the um, on the OEMs to be really honest, because they are going to be venturing into arenas that they haven't been to before, which is local marketing. That's not what they're, they've been good at. Uh, so, so I think that, that there's going to be a lot of pressure on the national sales companies, to try and leverage and talk directly to customers, which historically has been the domain uh, of the dealers themselves. It doesn't stop the dealers doing that, don't get me wrong, but the um, NSCs are gonna have to try and do that as well, which is gonna be a challenge for them because they're not set up to do that.
0: Jonathan, um, a few questions coming in as well around uh, tradings. So I know we, we've touched a little bit on party exchange, but perhaps you could detail the process of how, how a customer party exchanging for a new Polestar works. Who sets the price? How do they get paid? What are the options available to the consumer? Yeah,
1: we're, we're, far, from, we're far from perfect on that at the moment. Uh, as it stands, we, we offer a third, you know, a, a third party price is offered to them for their car um and they either accept that or they choose not to and that's what i was talking about earlier on one of the areas that we're now starting to discuss with 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 uh with our, our partners is to say right well how can we actually open that out now whereby duncan and his team can say to mr or mrs x well actually we'd be interested in that car and we'd pay you why um so it's we, we don't have a, a, a used car infrastructure where we can have lots that we can take cars in and and uh, do everything else so we use a third party and we've got the opportunity to work with 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 our retailers to, to to look at that so i think there's still some work to do you know we've been delivering cars since august 2020 um it's not exactly uh ancient in 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 terms of time i think we've come a huge distance in that in that period and and it's going enormously well but i think the used car area is something that we've got to do what i don't want to do is make the used car transaction part of the new car transaction i think that's one of the rabbit holes that our industry has gone down and we've got to treat the two separately
0: um duncan from a retailer perspective and perhaps jonathan you could answer from a manufacturer perspective have you seen a, a, a better conversion rate um using the agency model um you know a better a better rate of inquiry to sale.
3: Um, we we've not we've not seen um, much of a difference really if I'm if I'm being if I'm being honest um, you know looking at the the, the kind of conversion on a, a franchise model where the customer deals with us directly um, to to that of a, an online model no there's not not a huge difference but what we have seen is uh, an uplift in in uh, customers taking finance online uh, we've seen quite an uplift there so that that conversion is, is certainly improved but um, but but not the not the conversion
1: from inquiry to sale per se no i mean i, I think that's fair we've i i, I think we're a bit hea- we're a bit healthier in conversion rate than than other franchises i've worked for when you when you when you look at true conversion rate because i mean conversion rates are, can be anything you want it to be uh, let's let's be clear um but no we from from people who were getting their first experience of the car and test driving the car we we know that we're getting somewhere in the region of 10 to 13% conversion and that's on their first touch with the car and that's within within 60 days so i think that is very healthy people will have been quoting to me for years that conversion rates are 20 25% absolute nonsense we all know that if you actually count every person that walks in a dealer as traffic and then work out your conversion rates they're probably around about 10 so i don't think there's a fundamental difference in anything that i've seen before but it is a different experience. And equally, we're, we're a new brand. So to, to be at that conversion rate as a new brand that isn't that well-known, I think is a, is a very healthy position. And we're looking to increase that as we go
0: forward. And Duncan, again, from a retailer perspective, is there any benefits to this in managing those supply and demand issues we touched on before, and allowing you to kind of channel that demand in different ways, it, it, coming from, from the head office and of the manufacturer?
3: Well, as I said earlier, Mark, I think that, you know, the, the supply and demand imbalance that we've seen over, over the past um, kind of year, 18 months has been uh, has been great for the industry here you know, in terms of the, the margin that, that, we're, that, we're, that we're generating. Um, I think we would all like a little bit more volume. Um, I think we, we don't want to get back to the days where, you know, we're, we're, we're forcing and distressing the market because that does have, the, as I say, the, the dual impact of reduced margins and increased costs. Um, and, and I think that's something that we just need to work collectively with our, our partners to, to make sure that we don't get back to those days and learn learn from the from the, the, the past 18 months.
0: Uh, Tony, a, a couple of questions have come in mentioning <laughs> as one of them, Dennis Chick refers to it as the T word with Tesla. Um, does their success not show it's a sensible way to go for startups and new brands? The customers have accepted it, including bricking, servicing online, and other jobs online via the app. We need to recognise that changing a 100 year old model will take time and money, the super tanker effect. And um, a related question uh, on Tesla, again from Andrew Clues, the OEMs will have to be careful not to yo yo prices like a certain US company does that will not build trust. What, what can Tesla show us both good and bad from, from adopting their, their online sales method?
2: Yeah, okay, let's just understand the Tesla model. The Tesla model isn't an agency model, it's a direct model. But what is fascinating is that Tesla are putting um, more and more retailers that they own out there. So they recognize that you need to have not just a direct online situation, you need to have you know, physical presence as well. So what, what can we do to combat that? Well, well, I I combat the yo yo effect. Um, I think that that's very much down to the OEM themselves. And the OEM uh, will appreciate that you don't want to have too much of a fluctuation in a very short period of time. It's not healthy for for the brand itself. So uh, I think that Tesla are relatively new into this space. I do believe that um, more mature manufacturers will appreciate that too much of a fluctuation is not a healthy uh, position to be in. What I do also recognize, because I work with um, uh, some new entrants that are coming into the marketplace, uh, they are all looking at the agency model. That is absolutely right. So just like Polestar have done, uh, all the new guys are coming in and they are saying the agency model is the a good model but it comes back to that very first point we we're talking about it's not the people who are coming in that's the challenge it's the transition for the people who have got the franchise moving over to the agency model that's where we're going to have some challenges
0: Jonathan the, almost a perfect question for you um i think from Tom Townsend from Vauxhall Motors um with more customers buying online how will the test drive process evolve as ultimately many customers still want to test drive the car ahead to purchase Will OEMs take control of this space with central test drive centres in convenient locations or it been controlled by retailers in the future? Perhaps you could detail um, what you're doing uh, with test drives for Polestar.
2: Right, there we are. Finally, unmuted. am muted. Apologies. Um,
1: no, I, I think it's a balance of the two. Um, I think that uh, we we have great relationship with, uh, with with our investors who help us to fund a number of additional test drive hubs around the country um so we go to different cities and different towns with people booking online those onlines are running this year around about 90 to 95 percent um uh, comp- fulfillment rate. so you know as soon as the spot becomes available people are, are, are signing up online to do it and then they get a great experience and test drive experience to that but it's not us doing it or the retailer doing it it's a combination of the two so i think that you have to have an omni-channel approach i think you've got to have a great test drive facility available at your spaces but i think you've also got to get into the modern world which says well actually why can't we go to town a where we haven't got a space and be there for three or four days and enable people to come in and uh, and drive that it works enormously well in delivering an experience um, and I think that, that's, that again, the, the model that we've used um, uh, with Polestar has been to work hand in hand with, with, with our retail partners. So we deliver the experience, yes, we've got our teams who go in and deliver the test drive experience at those test drive hubs that we run, but that is supported and, and helped by, by, by our retail investors alongside. The result is we get really good quality of, uh, of test drive carried out. We get a good geographical balance. We'll use some of the lookers sites and everything else that Duncan's made available um, to go into towns that we would otherwise find it hard to find a location with. So I think that, that that's a, it's a nice balance. But I, I just think it's quite often we talk about well, what, as if it's, a, if it's a competition between the two. No, it's about the brand getting itself in front of as many people as it can in a way in which the customer finds of high value. and. That will be different things for different brands as they as they approach it. And I think, and you know, I'm not saying that the way we do it is the way every brand has to go. What I'm saying is, do we think the customer is happy to book a test drive online? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And if we think no, they want to drive out of town to the dealership to get there without having booked it first, I think that's a mistake, and I think that's old old thinking. But I think that the franchise dealers are eminently capable of delivering that where you've got a structure of. A couple of hundred franchise dealers for for a brand already in place in in the country i think they can do a great job of it but i think that marketing wise we have to understand as an industry that more and more people want to do this online and then want to have the physical interaction when they go there and that's why i think the traditional oems can do this but they've got to do it in partnership with their their retailers and not try and post stuff that would be my suggestion i
3: completely agree jonathan and i think you know whether it's the uh the OEM or whether it's it, it's um dealer led you know the, the test drives are a massively important part of the the, the buying process particularly in an, in around electric vehicles because they are different And it's, it's a fundamental change to the way a, ICE, a combustion engine vehicle drives so it's an important part of the process and it's a part of the process that our customers really want but we must remember that ride and drive events have been around for many many years and whether that's led by the OEM or whether it's dealer led um, I think, again, it's just that partnership working together to give the customer the experience of driving some of these great cars.
0: Same with you, Duncan, a uh, question more on the human side of this um, from Nick Eaton at Jaguar Land Rover. W- will the agency model result in a, a downsizing of the retailer workforce and um, perhaps a bit of follow up. Do you need as many you know, people working in your dealerships? Do you need as many dealerships in this model?
3: I think um as far as I'm concerned we, we we still need good people delivering a great customer experience and and you know the, the roles may evolve they may they may change slightly from from where they are today you know over over the next few years but you know we still need lots of good people doing a, a great job for customers and helping to facilitate that sale guiding the customer through that initial inquiry whether it's you know um relying on on those individuals for for knowledge whether it's Handing over a vehicle, uh, you know, order fulfillment. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we'll absolutely need, need our people moving forward. It's just the rules may may change, but I think, you know, we're we're, you know, once upon a time, probably back in my day, it was very very salesy. You know, the the the, the sales experience for a customer now it is all it's much much more transparent. As I said earlier, customers can create their own quote online. They can value their car online. They can find out so much more about their vehicles online. Our job now today. It's just to help customers get to that final point of making a decision and and getting into the right car with the right product for them.
0: Tony, a question come in um, about the Enios Grenadier, a new entrant to the market. They're partnering with Bosch for servicing their vehicles, therefore removing part of the after-sales business model from the retailer network. Can other OEMs follow suit and create an after-sales agency model, or do you think that's a bit of an outlier?
2: Wow, okay, so that's a a real move forward. I mean, is it possible? The answer is, I think it's possible. Um, It is going to be possible for people who are coming new into the marketplace. And I think that what the agency model with some like Polestar has shown is that when new entrants come in, they have a blank sheet of paper, they don't have any legacy, and therefore they can try new things. And Grenadier can do something like that as well. I think it will take a long time for anything like that to, to, to happen in the after sales arena with existing uh, with existing manufacturers. So um, so that's why I think that new entrants are a really good thing for the industry because it challenges us. And you know we're a hundred year old industry and we haven't really fundamentally changed the way that we do things over the last hundred years. And in, in the last three or four years, it's it's changed exponentially and we're being challenged by it. And that's a good thing for us. It's quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, I can't speak for what other
1: new engines are doing, but for us, part and parcel of, of, of the fundamentals of having the best of both worlds. So being, being having the agility of a startup and a new brand, but equally having the backing of, 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 of one of our parent brands, which is, which is Volvo enabled us to set up, and I'm absolutely delighted we did it, service contracts with, all, with 100 of the, of the Volvo dealers nationwide who are trained and used to working on the platforms where the logistics of parts and, uh, are already in place and where they're used to dealing with the customers has meant that we've actually had a pretty seamless route in with our dealers as well as giving them incremental business to, to, to complement their after-sales stuff. So I think that we benefit massively from that relationship and from the service and after-sales coverage that they give us. Um, And and certainly from our perspective, we would have been very, very reticent to do it any other way than through the franchise dealer network, which has the confidence of the customer as well. So others will take their own decision, but we're absolutely delighted with, with, with the relationship that we've
2: got with the Volvo
1: after sales network who've been doing a super job for us.
2: Yeah, and I think as well that there are the new entrants that are coming in, they are giving not, not just the agency model. You've got people like Genesis, which is a direct model. You've got Lincoln Co, which is a direct model. So all of a sudden you've got people coming in, showing new, new new aspects that should challenge us. And that's, as I said, that's good because at the end of the day, it's the customer who will decide which is the best methodology that we can use.
0: Um, uh, A kind of a statement as much as a question that I'll I'll kind of throw to the floor and let let someone come in from uh, Patrick Coy from Patrick Coy Associates Limited. Agency serves OEMs and dealers with more control and better profits. It removes organic price competition which doesn't serve consumers. When volume sales are not important, easy poll this doesn't matter, but when the volume sales and market share increase is important, it does matter. What appears ...transparent in all this is that agency means higher prices for consumers and better profits for OEMs and dealers. Fair comment?
1: I think, I think with, with all due respect, I think that's nonsense. Um, I think you've got a hugely competitive market and it will become increasingly impact, you know, competitive on, on electric vehicles. You've got to get your pricing right. Um and I think that the consumer knows, um, if they feel you're overpricing your cars, they'll, they'll vote with their feet. So I don't buy into that at all. Uh, I think that what it enables you to do is to retain some of the profit, which would otherwise have been negotiated away or, or given away. And, and as Duncan said earlier, I mean, I, God, I remember the days where the margins were 15% on invoice. Well, the discussion started at 12% discounts. Um, you know, so what's the point of having that on, on invoice? Get the price right in the first place. Let the customer believe that they're coming in and they're right, coming in and that the price is an honest price. They don't want to sit and debate and discuss it. You don't go into other shops in other industries and start haggling over the price of a handbag or haggling over the price of a suit. The price is there. And, and I think that it's irritated me massively as an industry that we spend £250 million to £300 million developing a new car and then the first thing we do is, is work out how much off it we can get. We've got to get the value right. We've got to get the price right. We've got to get the service right. And then the customer will decide that, is that price the correct one and they'll pay. So I don't think the customer ends up paying more for this at all. I, do, I think that we enable both us and the retailer to make a profit as well as offering the customer the price that is competitive in the industry. And I think that this is absolutely the way the industry has got to go forward. Um, and start to really value the amount of engineering that every brand puts into to each new car that it comes on the market and not start discounting the second we put it up for sale with the customer.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right it has to be right because transparency must mean that the customer can see exactly the price he's going to pay and therefore it's more competitive in fact it's the opposite i believe i believe that the customer is going to get a personally i think customer going to get a better deal because otherwise he goes in and he sees a sticker price he has no idea what he's going to end up buying and paying at the end of the day so so with transparency gives gives a better um price i believe for the customer because he can actually determine even before he goes in whether the price he's paying is a good value for the car he's going to get
3: yeah and i would just agree with both both tony and uh, and jonathan on that you know i think this model will keep everybody honest and and on their toes and and as a result the the, the customer will will massively benefit from that um you know ultimately we've seen it in the past where you know price points don't um kind of generate that consumer activity um and and, and had to be tweaked and adjusted until we get to that point that we start generating inquiries so i i think this is quite the opposite effect and i think it will be good for the customers as opposed to bad for the customers
0: so crystal ball time to finish um i'll go to each of you in turn maybe starting with you duncan how will this shake out over the next five years what is the retail world world going to look like towards the end of this decade
3: It's an interesting one. I mean, it's evolving at pace, isn't it? And and as I said earlier, and I've kind of banged the drum a couple of times, I think whether it's an agency model or whether it's a franchise model, we just need to be simpler and easier to do business with as an industry. I think ease of of transaction, I think transparency in the way that we do things and keeping customers front and centre of everything that we do is, is, is absolutely where it needs to be. Um, I think we have been quite complex as an industry in the past, um, and digitization and electrification is absolutely going to change that.
0: Jonathan, perhaps same question to you. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think fundamentally, what is going to change is that the the, the car business is going to move online. Um, that doesn't mean pure online. It will, to my mind, be an omni-channel business. Always, there will always be a need to interact with the physical property. Um, But if anyone doesn't believe it's going online, they're they're, they're, they're living in the dark ages. Um, And and the customer will increasingly want to transact online. And and, and we have as an industry to facilitate that. Um, And that's not just me as a person that's launched an online business saying it. It's just the reality of where we're going. So I think the big question for the industry is how do they marry the two, enable the retailers to be focused on delivering the exceptional customer care that they can do, um, whilst at the same time offering the direct interaction for the customer with the brand elsewhere, so I think that's the challenge the industry has. So I think that have we got the right shape? Do we need the same sized showrooms that are built up around the country? I think we're going to gradually see that that reducing in size to be to be more friendly and and, and focused. But that will be a long term thing. The biggest change will be this will move online and all the players in this part of the business have to be ready to do that because if they don't they
2: will get left behind and tony the yeah
0: 2027
2: yeah. Was- yeah fine um interestingly enough i mean i talked to an awful lot of manufacturers and there's some manufacturers who are starting to push for it we've seen that with Stellantis. we'll see that with the w group mercedes they're very very much going down that that route themselves A number of other manufacturers are just holding off and waiting to see. At the end of the day, it will be what the customer wants because the customer is king. Whatever we say, the customer will actually say, this is the route that we like buying a car on. And I have to say, as Jonathan has said, it's going to be something along the lines of a direct model that is enabled online, um, but with a localized facility that has that face-to-face interaction.
0: Thank you very much. And with that, we're out of time. The hour has absolutely flown by. Uh, Thank you to Jonathan, uh, to Duncan and Tony and for giving up so much of your time today. Uh, I'm very grateful, uh, audiences as well. And thank you for watching. We've had an awful lot of questions in there, some brilliant questions, Um, at least a dozen, two dozen I didn't manage to get through. Uh, Thanks for joining and we'll see you soon.